welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. This morning we're, we're continuing our new series, and off the back of Andrew and Jason's messages over the last couple of weeks, we're looking at the new things that God is wanting to do in and through us. You know, we know that God is the same yesterday, He's the same today, He's the same forever, but He's a God of new beginnings. You know, God's nature never changes, His love endures forever, His compassion never fails, He's going to be faithful to the end, but He's always wanting to do a new thing in us to make us more like Christ. And so today as we continue this series looking at the new things that God is wanting to do through us, I want us to talk about the new name that we're all invited to in Christ. Now many times in scripture we see uh, God intervene in people's lives. You know, he stops them, he changes their name to signify a new beginning in their life. You know, there might be a change in character, there might be a change in mission or or a change in status, but God uses a new name to signify a new beginning. And this morning we're going to unpack some situations where where God has changed someone's name, where he's set them on a new trajectory for life, and how we're also invited to step into that new name ourselves. But before we do that, won't you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that that we can gather here under your name, under a powerful name, under a life-giving name. And God, we thank you that you're always constant, that you're always faithful, but God, we want to thank you that you're also always inviting us into new things, that you always wanted to do something new in our lives, that you're pulling us into something further, and God, you're drawing us to be more like you. And Father, as we unpack your scriptures here this morning, would they be speaking to us? God, as we, as we open your word, would those words come alive? Would they minister to each and every one of us? God, would we know your presence here in this place this morning? And we say all of these things in your holy name. Amen. 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 Now, I'm sure you're aware, but in our culture, especially, especially Australian culture, you know, I don't reckon names technically mean what they used to mean in the Bible, right? We don't use names to determine someone's character or their status or what they're going to do in the future. You're right, we don't, we don't really use people's names anymore like that. At least, at least I really hope that we don't use people's names like that. Because, you know, my name is James, for those of you who I haven't met. My parents called me James when I was born. And James is derived from the old Hebrew name, Yachub. <clears throat> or uh, if you're not Jewish, it's Jacob. And Jacob has got a beautiful meaning to it. And the, the meaning of Jacob is just simply to supplanter. There's a lot of blank faces. I'll be honest, I don't know what that word means either until I looked it up to understand what my name meant. And, and supplanter is a simple word and it simply means to take over or to take control or to take charge and generally in a forcible or an aggressive way. You know, kind of like how a king is usurped by someone else and he's thrown off the throne. You know, that's a beautiful name, right? It's a beautiful trajectory for life. So thanks, mom and dad, for that. James the supplanterer. But you know, lucky for me in today's age, we don't necessarily use names to describe a person's character anymore. You know, instead, names are kind of used as like a flexible recommendation of how you would refer to someone or how you would get someone's attention. And 
And in Australia, it's barely even a recommendation, right? <laughs> you know, I'll introduce my, myself to people as James every time. Without fail, I'll introduce myself as James, but almost no one actually knows me as James. You know, I've been blessed, well, at least I like to think that I've been blessed to have a name that is accompanied by a suite of other nicknames. I'll introduce myself as James, but very quickly, I become known as Jimmy, or I become known as Jim, or Jamie, or Jim Bob, or Jim Bob Squarepants, or Jim Jam, Jimmy the Jet, Jimbo, Jimbo the Hippo, J Biggity Biggs, J Bizzle, J Dog, Jim Dog, Jim Dog Millionaire, and my personal favorite, which is Jimmy Licious. <laughs> That's a lot of names to keep track of, right? That's exhausting. I have to know what, every, what people call me. I have to know the names that people call me. People call me Jim Bob Squarepants, and that's Donna. So I have to know that when Donna calls me that I can turn around and expect to see her face. Everyone calls me a different name. And so here this morning at Gateway Ormo, I'd like to make a decree. <laughs> All right, I would like to request that from now on, people only refer to me as Jimmylicious. <laughs> Jimmy Licious, okay? I'll introduce myself in worship as Jimmy Licious. It's a combination of James and Delicious, and I'm on board for that. So can we make that happen? Awesome. Jimmy Licious it is. You know, very rarely these days do we call people by their real names. You know, I'm not sure if it's a laziness thing, or, you know, maybe it's a term of affection, or it's a term of endearment. You know, even when it comes to my lovely wife, Sophie, who's out, she's out at Kidlings this morning, and so I can say whatever I want, I'm being told. But no, even when it comes to talking to Sophie, I never actually call her Sophie. And if I did, she thinks something was wrong or she was in trouble, right? You know, these days, I won't call her Sophie, I'll call her Soph, or I'll call her Honey, or Love, or Beautiful, or Babe, or Gorgeous, or Genius, or a new one that I'm learning is Yestia. <laughs> yeah, that's a work in progress, but we'll get there eventually. But I never actually call her Sophie. You know, when it comes to Andrew Main, I never call Andrew Main Andrew. It just feels weird these days. I know him as Mainy, or during the week it's Boss or Sir. And we talk, <laughs> we talk about our kids and youth pastor, Donna Graham. And look, I'll be honest, I haven't got a nickname for Donna because Donna actually already sounds like a nickname. So I call Donna Donna or Don if I'm being lazy. But a better example is Justin Murray. I never call Justin Murray Justin Murray. No one even knows him as that. Of course... We all know Justin Murray as Hot Pants Murray, right? Because of the pants he wears. Or, or even some of us might know him as Ellen. And if you don't know why we know him as Just One, you come up and explain it. No, okay. If you want to find out the meaning of it, why don't you talk to Justin afterwards? He loves that nickname. But in today's world, names are just a way for us to grab people's attention or to identify them to others. But when we look back to the Bible, when God's changing people's names back then, the names hold much more significance. They have a deeper meaning. They explain that, that person's character or they explain a person's purpose or, or what's in store for them in the future. And, and throughout the Bible, names serve a variety of functions. You know, we use names in the Bible to, to describe someone's birth or to describe their parents' reactions to that birth. We use names to, to share a message of God or to even create an affiliation with God. And we also use names to indicate a new beginning or a new trajectory for someone's life. You know, the, the first name that we encounter, the first human name that we encounter in the Bible is Adam. 
You know, Adam is a, is a fairly common name these days in, in Western culture, Western civilization, and, and Adam just simply means man, descriptive, right? It just simply means man. But, but what I love is that Adam is actually derived from an old Hebrew word meaning Adama, meaning ground. An old Hebrew word called Adama meaning ground. And we know that as, as the first human, Adam was created from God by the dust of the ground. And so the name Adam literally defines the species and the sex and the process by which he was created. You know, it serves a much greater purpose. It's got a much better heritage than James the supplanter. But we move through the Bible and, and soon we come to a couple called Abram and Sarai. Abram meaning noble father and Sarai meaning princess because these guys are about to become the leaders, the head honchos of the new clan, the new tribe sort of thing. But at the age of 75, God calls Abram to leave his father's land and to find his own place. Now that's a patient father because 75 seems a bit late to be leaving home. But as God calls him to leave home, he also promises to make Abram a great nation. So Abram and Sarai, they leave their homeland and they form a new nation. You know, the only issue was is that unfortunately Sarai is unable to have a child. She's unable to fall pregnant and aware that, that God is promised to make Abram a nation, these two take it, into their, take it into their own hands to try and solve this problem. They take it under their own thoughts to try and, to try and source out a child and to, to create a nation. And this just leads them down a whole, a whole process of sadness, of despair and pain. But eventually, years later, God reappears to Abraham to fulfill his promise. He tells Abram that Sarai will give birth to a child at the age of 90, and Abram laughs to himself at the thought of fathering a child at 100, but God seems adamant and fulfills his promise to Abram and Sarai, changing their names in the process of it to present his purpose and to show his purpose to everyone. So he changes Abram from noble father to Abraham, meaning father of many, and he changes Sarai from princess to Sarah, meaning mother of nations. Their names signify a new beginning from God and promises that he will continue to fulfill. And once their child is born, Sarah calls him Isaac, meaning he will laugh, of course, reflecting Abraham and Sarah's reaction to finding out that she's pregnant at 90. And Sarah says in Genesis 21:6, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Isaac's name was important, reminding everyone of the promises of God. You know, Isaac goes on to have two children himself, twin boys, and the, and the first child is called Esau, meaning hairy, because simply he was a hairy child. It's descriptive like Adam, but it's a lot less to live up to if you ask me. And then, and then Esau's younger brother was born grasping at Esau's heel. And Esau's brother is called Jacob. And in this context, Jacob means he grasps the heel, which is an old Hebrew idiom meaning for he deceives, or, or as I mentioned earlier, to supplanter, to kind of take over. And, and if you know the story of Jacob and Esau, this is a really fitting name as, as Jacob goes on to steal Esau's inheritance and Esau's blessing from his father. But all this to say is that the names in the Bible are descriptive. They paint pictures of a person's heritage and, and who they are, what their story is, what they're going to become. And so when God comes and gives someone a new name, it is generally a sign of a significant new beginning in that person's life. It describes a new change in that person's life. And unlike today, when we kind of give people affectionate nicknames and stuff like that, when God gives someone a name, it carries a deeper truth of who he's wanting them to become. 
You know, if we look at the story of Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, and, and Jason kind of touched on this a little bit last week, but if we look at the story of Peter, we see the way that Jesus speaks into his life, how Jesus changes his name and sets him on a whole new trajectory for life. So if you have your Bibles with me, um, we're going to spend a bit of time in Matthew this morning, but if you have your Bibles with me, would you turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, and it's going to be on the the screen as well. And this is just telling the story of, it's kind of right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's done a bit of stuff, and now he's trying to find his first disciples. It says in Matthew 4, verse 18, one day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net in the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. You know what I love about this story is that that even though Jesus knew the trajectory of his own ministry, even though he knew his influence on the world, and even though he knew the places that he would leave, lead Simon, Peter, and Andrew to, and the things that he would do through them. He knew all of their future, but he still didn't disregard their past. Now, he doesn't just throw away their present story, their heritage, and and all that they know about being fishermen. Instead, he uses that. He uses their heritage of fishermen to reshape and to speak into their new future. He takes them from being fishermen to fishers of men. You know, just as they were trained to gather the fish of the sea, Jesus was going to train them to gather, gather fellow believers and gather people who would listen to him, who would believe in him and follow him. Now, God is a God of purpose who has a vision for all of our lives, and he uses all of our lives for his purpose, all of our experiences, all of our failures, all of our successes. They become a part of our story. They become a part of our wisdom. They become a part of our knowledge. And God uses all of our lives for his purpose and for his mission. He calls us out past what we could ever make for ourselves. And he gives us a new vision and a new purpose. A vision and purpose that will seem impossible without him. But it's when we put our faith in God. It's when we we trust in God. That's when we begin to see that vision and purpose in our life unfold. You know, Jesus didn't called scholars or people of an eloquent nature to be his first disciples, right? He didn't call people who would be able to share his message and share his theology in like a convincing and a captivating way. That's not who he called. The first disciples he called were fishermen, people who would be reliant on him to fulfill everything he had in store for their lives. You know, Simon and Peter was already uh, reliant on God for his livelihood. And I love that Jesus recognizes that and he calls him into it even more. He calls Simon to be even more reliant on God, continuing to ask him to step out of his comfort zone, to step out of his natural abilities time and time again. Now, Jesus is constantly calling Simon out to do more and to do more than he ever thought was possible. Now, Simon's story is essentially one of hearing God's call, one of hearing God's teaching and his new vision for his life and then responding to that call. In the very nature of their job as fishermen, they were reliant on God. You know, they could have the best boats that money could buy. They could have the best nets that money could buy. They could spend all day mending those nets, getting them in tip-top shape to catch the big fish. Or they could have an infinite wisdom of the knowledge of fishing and the seas and the tides and the feeding, like fishing stuff. They could have infinite knowledge of fishing stuff. But unless God actually provided those fish, they weren't going to catch anything. 
And so Simon's story is simply hearing God's call on his life and continuing to step out in reliance on God. Now, now like all of us, Simon doesn't always get it right, obviously. He doesn't always do a bang-up job of hearing God's purpose and then just stepping out in faith and trusting him. He wasn't always great at doing what he was told. If we're being honest, sometimes he hears Jesus and just straight up ignores him. But in Matthew 14, we see the disciples out, out, on a, out on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is off by himself getting some alone time and decides that he wants to be with the disciples. So instead of calling him into the shore, he, he walks out on the water towards the disciples. And at, at this point, the disciples are terrified, obviously, that there's, there's someone walking on the water to him, towards them, thinking he's a ghost. But in Matthew 14, verse 27, it says, But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. And then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him saying, you have so little faith, why did you ever doubt me? I wonder if any of us have ever felt that prompting from God when, when we know what he's called us to do, but we still choose to ignore it out of fear. You know, like many of us, Peter had heard that voice of God. He knew God's promptings. He knew what God was calling him to do. But in a mistake that is just so simple and so easy for us to make, Peter took his eyes off Jesus. Peter allowed his mind to get distracted by the wind and by the waves and by everything that was going on, and fear began to creep into his mind. Peter forgot what God had called him to do in that moment. He forgot the trust he had in his Saviour, and he forgot the faithfulness and the mightiness of Jesus. You know, Peter had seen Jesus do countless miracles before this time. Even on this very day, Jesus has seen, uh, Peter has seen Jesus feed the 5,000. But by taking his eyes off Jesus, by allowing his mind to be filled with fear, he lost faith and he began to sink. And I think so often in our own lives, sometimes like Peter, we forget what, people, what, we forget what God has called us to be. We forget the purpose that we've, we've been given by him. And we don't forget it on purpose, but we forget it out of fear. You know, fear and worry are a trap that we fall into by letting our minds be distracted by, by what the world says we are, by what the world says we can do, by what the world is saying to us. We get distracted by the noise of the world. Instead, we need to be focusing on the new life that God has given to us. We need to be focusing on who He says we are. And it's in the realization of the splendor and grace of God that we find our Christ's given name. And it's in that name that we find belonging. It's through that name that we are able to overcome the fear of this world and that we're able to fully begin to live in the promises of God's word. In Peter's story, we see him encounter a divine revelation of Jesus' holiness. We see him understand Jesus' splendor and his grace. And it's in this new revelation of Jesus' divinity that, that Jesus actually gives Simon a new name. He begins to describe to Simon his future, the promises that he has for him. And so would you turn with me to Matthew 16, verse 13, where we see Jesus, he's just having a chat with his disciples, and he's asking them a question. From verse 13, it says, 
Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And now I say to, and now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will never conquer it. That's a, that's a powerful name, right? That's a cool name with, a, with an awesome legacy. Peter, the rock of the church. It's, it's obviously not as cool as Jimmy Licious, but it is, it's still right up there. You know, it's in the revelation of, it's in the revelation of Jesus' divinity that Peter is given a new name. Peter no longer sees Jesus as just a wise teacher. He no longer sees Jesus as, as just a prophet or even just an all-round top bloke, although Jesus is all of these things. You know, Peter is now able to see Jesus as the Messiah, as the son of the living God. And it's out of this trust and it, it's out of this understanding and faith that Jesus calls Peter a new name. It was through the lens of Jesus that Peter's new name was revealed. Now, Peter still didn't get it all right. In fact, some of his biggest failures are, are still to come. You know, but he knew that Jesus was his savior. He knew that in his heart and, and he knew it by faith. And it's because of that faith that Jesus changes his name to Peter, knowing that Peter's life is still going to be hard, that he's still going to face hardship and, and pain and despair and sadness. But now that, now that Peter knows that Jesus is the Messiah, he has that to comfort him. He, he knows that his God is bigger. And even though he walks through the hardship and the pain and the despair, he knows his God is stronger. He knows that Jesus is mightier and that most importantly, he's in control. It was out of this trust and out of this understanding that Peter got his new name. And he knew that even, even though Jesus' new name for him carried a huge task, and even though it carried a huge burden, Peter knew that he wasn't going to carry it alone because he was living with Jesus. And now, and now if Jesus had given Peter this new name before Peter realizes his divinity, I reckon it would have gone a little bit differently, Right? If Peter didn't know that God was in control, that God was in it, that, that, that he was going to be walking by him, I think he would have reacted a little bit differently to what, to what Jesus calls out of him. You know, Jesus says, upon this rock, I'll build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. You know, if I was in Peter's shoes, I think I'd have a couple of questions I want to clarify around that, you know? Like, Jesus, what, what are you talking about the powers of hell? <laughs> Can we just circle back on that? Can we circle back on that a little bit? It seems a little bit daunting. Right? That's a big task. That's a big name. But because God had revealed to Peter that Jesus was the Messiah, it was through the lens of relying on Jesus that Peter was able to see the future that was being described to him. And it was through the lens of Jesus that Peter was able to step out in faith into his new name. However, however, however even knowing all of this, even after living and meeting with Jesus, after knowing Jesus, after being given his new name, being called the rock of the church, once again, like in the sea, Peter falls into the trap of fear and worry. 
You know, it's at the, it's at the Last Supper where, where Jesus is gathering with his disciples. You know, he's breaking bread with them and he's kind of cryptically telling the disciples around his death and his resurrection. And, and he's saying that all who follow me will fall away. You know, Peter won't have any of this. Peter rejects the statement that, people, that all of them will fall away. And in Matthew 26, 33, Peter says to Jesus, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Now I think we can, we can all see where this where this story's leading, right? Later that night, Jesus is arrested and he's taken away and, and the disciples kind of flee, but, but Peter sticks around following Jesus, following the crowds at a distance, not wanting to be recognized, not wanting to be drawn into everything that's going on. So he's, and so while Jesus is being like questioned, while Jesus is being taken to trial, Peter's actually recognized by a young servant girl. He says, hey, aren't you one of those guys that was with Jesus? Didn't you know Jesus? Didn't you follow Jesus? And, and Peter's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never known this guy. And Peter denies Jesus right to this servant woman. He continues on his way. He, he, he continues at a distance, not wanting to be caught up in what's happening. And another young servant girl comes to him, says exactly the same thing. And again, Peter denies it. And he continues on his way now, a little bit scared that people are starting to recognize him. He actually begins to leave the city where one more time he's recognized by a crowd. And Peter's frustrated that people keep calling him a believer and follower of Jesus. And he begins to curse and he swears at the crowd, proclaiming that he never knew Jesus. Now it's at this exact moment that, that Peter hears the, roast, the rooster crow three times. And it's at this moment when he's reminded of the words that Jesus has said to him. Now Jason, Jason alluded to it a little bit last week, but, but once Jesus has died and before the disciples are aware that he's been resurrected again, they're devastated. They don't know what to do. This, this, this person who said there was their Messiah, that he, would, that he would free them, that he would set them free, that he had a new beginning for them, he was dead. It feels like the last three years of their ministry, the last three years of following Jesus around, seeing these miracles, hearing these stories, it's just been a complete waste of time. And so the disciples, they go back to their old ways. They go back to what they knew before Jesus. They go back to fishing. They go back to the sea and casting out their nets. Somehow Peter has forgotten that Jesus, Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the son of the living God. Somehow Peter's forgotten that he's been given a new name, that he's the rock of the church, that, his church, that Jesus' church will be built on him. And in the confusion, in the disappointment of all that's going on, the disciples, they go out fishing again, just falling back into what's easy, falling back into what's comfortable. You know, it's while the disciples are out on their boat that Jesus comes back. Jesus comes and sees them fully, fully, um, fully not dead, fully alive, <laughs> fully alive who's on the shore. And he calls the disciples in. You know, the disciples who have who have ignored all of his teachings, who have ignored what he said to them, they're out fishing in their uncomfortable ways. He calls them back in and he begins to cook them breakfast. And in an encounter that I reckon just poetically matches Peter's denial of Jesus, it says in John 21 verse 15, that after breakfast, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? You know, Peter was hurt that, that Jesus was asking this question a third time. And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And so Jesus says, then feed my sheep. You know, what I love is that even after giving Peter a new name, even after calling Peter the rock of his church, and then watching Peter deny him three times and watching Peter forget ever knowing Jesus right before his horrific death, Jesus still forgives Peter and he still, he still continues to call him in to his new name. He encourages Peter to be the rock of his church. He instructs him to care and to feed for his sheep. He encourages him to build the church, to care for the church, to grow the church. And it's after Jesus' ascension back into heaven that in the book of Acts, we see this once timid man, this, once, this guy who was once scared of even being recognized as an associate of Jesus. He's transformed into this incredible man of God. He's transformed into this confident leader who on his first sermon to a ginormous crowd sees over 3,000 people baptized that day. That's an incredible transformation for someone who doesn't even want to be recognized as an associate of Jesus to proclaiming Jesus' name and proclaiming Jesus' gospel to thousands of people. That's a cool story. You know, what's even cooler is that just like Simon to Peter's transformation, God is wanting to call a new name out of all of us. Now, it's by our incredible God that we are also given a new name and a new trajectory for life. It's through the sending and, and the sacrifice of Jesus that we are invited into God's family. By putting your faith and by declaring that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, by allowing Him to make you clean and allowing Him to make you worthy, you are adopted as sons and daughters of our Most High King. How good is that? You know, these days, our actual names might not change when we encounter and when we accept God. Our actual names might stay the same, but we're given a new identity. We're given a new status. We're invited into the family of Christ and we're called a Christian. We're a follower of Christ. We belong to the family of Jesus. You know, you might have a name like mine with an unfortunate meaning. Or you might have a name that, that you're a little bit embarrassed by. Or you might have a name that you don't want to be recognized by. You might have a name that you feel like you have tarnished or that someone around you has tarnished and you're trying to escape it. You, know, you might be trying to flee your old name or an old identity, an old life. You might be embarrassed by your name, by being adopted into Christ's family. By being adopted into Christ's family, you belong to a new name. A name that never will tarnish. A name that no one can belittle or still value from. A name that holds promise. A name that embraces you. You are invited into the family of Christ. You know, in giving you a new name, God takes your history. He takes everything you've done, where you've come from. He takes the lessons that you've learned. He sets you on a new course. He wipes clean your failures. He, he sees your regrets and He actually frees you from them. And if you let Him, He takes your giftings, He takes your unique passions and, and your talents, and He begins to use them to outwork His purpose in your life. A purpose that will surpass anything that you can imagine for yourself. 
Your new name invites you into a new relationship with God and a relationship where you are reliant on His provision. By stepping out into faith in your new name, you're reliant on His provision. And that's a, that can be a scary place to be, right? But that is the most rewarding place I can ever think of. Where you rely on Him constantly to outwork in your life. You know, I wonder if there's people here this morning that, that are hearing me talk about all of this. And you would say that, yeah, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died on the cross, that He rose again to save my sins. I believe all of this. But maybe, maybe just maybe like Peter, you've returned to your nets. Maybe you've returned to what's comfortable. Maybe you've forgotten what it is that God has called you into. You've gone back to fishing for fish and not fishing for people. Maybe like Peter, you've returned to what is comfortable and what you know you can do in your own strength. And maybe God might seem distant right now. Maybe it's hard to recognize Him. You can remember the things that He's called you into, but maybe the hardship, the pain, the despair of life is stopping you from knowing His presence. Maybe it's stopping you from remembering the new name that He's given you and the new purpose that He has for your life. You know, on his own, Peter, Peter wasn't a rock. Peter was not even close to stable. He either ran hot or he ran cold. He was inconsistent all of the time. You know, without, without Jesus, Peter ran back to his boats. He ran back to what is comfortable. But you know, when Jesus called him again, but when Jesus called Peter again and, and reminded him of his new name, of his new purpose, that's when Peter was back on track. You know, once Peter was wiped clean through Jesus' sacrifice, once he's filled with the Holy Spirit, that's when Peter became the rock. And that's when Peter became the stabilizing influence of the new church that exists to this very day. You know, so that's you this morning. If you've forgotten the new name that God has given you, if you've headed back to your boats, if you're back at what's easy, I wonder if maybe this morning God is wanting to remind you of the new name He's called in you, that He's given you a new name and a new identity. That's through the lens of Jesus that your new name and your new trajectory is revealed. So what does it look like to refix your eyes onto Jesus and not be distracted by everything that's going on? I reckon God is wanting to remind you of what He's called in you, of what He's called you to be. And so church, I just want to encourage us to take every moment to fix your eyes on God, to fix your eyes on Jesus, to, to remember in faith the name that He's called you to be and to walk in that faith, to walk in a reliance on God. Come on, why don't you stand with me? And I pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you were constant, that you were faithful, that you were steadfast. But with God, we want to thank you that you are constantly calling us out into new things, that you're constantly calling us to be more like you. And God, we thank you that you call us out of our sin, you call us out of our own strength, and you draw us into your strength, you draw us into your family. And God, as we leave this place, as we go about our lives, would you be reminding us of the new name and the new identity you've called in each of us? Would you be reminding us that our identity is in you, that our hope is in you, that you never leave us, 
that you will always sustain us, that you will always fulfill the things that you have called in us when we fix our eyes on you, when we become reliant on you. God, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit, the Spirit that brings strength, Spirit that brings guidance. Would you sustain us as we walk in the promises and future of the new name that you've given each of us. God, we thank you for your compassion and your love. Together we said, Amen. Hey church, we're going to sing this song in in just a moment that declares the truth of God, that declares the truth of who God says that you are, declares His promises and His faithfulness towards us. But while we're singing it, if you feel maybe like you have gone back to your nets, that maybe you've gone back to what is easy, but you know that God is calling you into more, that He's calling you into things that may seem hard or out of your control, right now I just want to let encourage you to allow these lyrics to wash over you. Allow yourself to be reminded that your loving God is with you, that He's strengthening you, that He will sustain you as you walk in the faith in the name that He has given you. So come on, let's sing. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.